The 24th annual McMinimins UFO Fest is descending on McMinnville May 17th and 18th. There will be live music, parades, costume balls, and contests. You can also hear expert speakers and first-person accounts of UFO encounters, including from former Navy pilot Ryan Graves, who last year came out very publicly about our military's regular UFO sightings. Do you remember that? That was super weird. Other guest speakers include Garrett M. Graff, author of really long-titled books like The U.S. government's 80-year quest to understand the mystery of UFOs, and Roderick Martin, host of the podcast High Strangeness. Tickets are available for believers and skeptics alike at ufofest.com. Hey there, it's Claudia, host of CityCast Portland. If you've been listening to the show this week, you've probably heard a few mentions of our new membership program. So I just want to take the time to thank all of you who have joined this week. Aside from seeing that our hard work actually matters to so many of you, it's also been wonderful reading all the notes coming through saying why you're supporting us. So I figured instead of hearing me listing all the reasons why you should become a founding member of CityCast Portland, I just let our listeners do it. Here's why Emily G joined the membership program. She wrote, between working from home and parenting, I often don't feel as engaged in city life as I'd like. This podcast helps me feel more connected and encourages me to get out more. I'm grateful I found it and I'm happy to support. Melanie CK said, I just moved in June of 2023 and this newsletter and podcast has really shaped my experiences here. Most predominantly the restaurant reviews and suggestions, but honestly, I love all of it and was willing to pay for something that has enhanced my experience and welcome to Portland. Aw, thanks, Melanie. Glad to have you in town. And finally, John's mom had this to say. Yeah, our executive producer's mom, Susan Natariani. I want to support your team's intelligent and thoughtful analysis of topics, but I also enjoy your irreverence. I listen when I walk, so I probably look like a crazy lady when I'm laughing. You have some very interesting episodes, like the recent one about the Lovejoy columns. Plus, I would have never thought to get a great dive bar burger last time I visited if I wouldn't have heard the dive bar episode. Also, Rachel's newsletter has very interesting stories. Y'all, this woman doesn't even live here and she's throwing down. So if any of what you're hearing resonates with you, head over to portland.citycast.fm and become a member today. If you join before March 8th, you'll get founding member status and your name will go up on our site listed as such for eternity, which is pretty baller. Okay, well, no matter what, thank you so much for listening. On to our interview with Commissioner Carmen Rubio. In recent months, you might have noticed that Portland City Commissioner Carmen Rubio has been making headlines for offering a lifeline to several struggling city bureaus, thanks to a new revenue source, the Portland Clean Energy Fund, or PCEF. This was a tax on retailers intended to invest in climate projects that benefited disadvantaged communities of color who are being hardest hit in our ongoing climate change. But some are critical of the creative use of the funds, saying it's not centering the intended spirit of the program. So today on CityCast Portland, we're talking with mayoral hopeful Commissioner Carmen Rubio about her seemingly endless bag of money and also to dig deeper into some of these gambits and what they tell us about how she might lead the city in an even bigger job. It's Thursday, February 29th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. You know, you recently told Willamette Week's Sophie Peel that you're an introvert. 
and you're no drama. And we brought this up before actually on the show that everyone else in city council, aside from you, seems to be constantly making headlines, which is like not always a good thing. But now that your bureaus and projects are making these like visibly big moves, your name is coming up a lot more. And to a lot of people, I think this might be their first introduction in a weird way. And, you know, even though you've been doing organizing and leading organizations for decades now. So we have a question to get to know you a little bit better. So there's this popular children's cartoon called Avatar The Last Airbender. Uh Um, It just had this live action world premiere on Netflix, which is a big deal to a lot of nerds like me. So it's like in front of mind. Uh, In this world, there are people who could manipulate or bend all four elements, you know, so you have waterbenders who, you know, they like are able to make ice and do crazy stuff with water. And then there's earthbenders who literally can move earth. Um, There's airbenders that can like almost fly a little bit and make gusts of wind and all that. And then there's firebenders, which is pretty explanatory. They manipulate fire. So if you were able to choose any of those elements, if you were able to like be any of those benders, what would you want to be? That's a really good question. I think it for me, um, I think it would probably be water or earth. Hmm. Why? I think water because uh, water is fungible. It is like flexible. It can be um, solid and it mm-hmm. can be liquid. And you need water in a lot of things to make them happen. So I think I love the fluid nature of water. Mm-hmm. Close second would be the earth, I think, because um, building and it's malleable and it's sort of the source of all creation in, in some mm-hmm. ways. So in, in that way, I think you need earth in everything. Um, you need certain elements or certain values in everything that you're going to do as a baseline. So those are very hard for me to choose between, but I would say those are the top two for sure. Cool, cool. Waterbenders are also healers, FYI. So, <laughs> well, I- I'll let you pick two. I did say one, but you know, okay, you're water you're my- first. Water. Okay, water. Okay, you heard it here first. Carmen Rubio <laughs> would be a waterbender. Well, you know, another thing that we've talked about on the show is uh, kind of jokingly like your magic pot of money. As the city's planning and sustainability commissioner, you've overseen uh, millions of dollars coming into the Portland Clean Energy Fund. And as of late, you've been using it to bail out other city bureaus in needs of funds. Those are our words, by the way. Mm -hmm. Like, how did you prioritize how to use those resources? Well, I think the the baseline issue with the Clean Energy Fund is making sure that we're staying true to the, its intent and true to its value. Mm-hmm. And because we had revenue that went well above projection, so this is sort of a one-off, right? Mm-hmm. We have this opportunity to really align um, the work that is happening in the city that actually should be centering those frontline communities and BIPOC communities as well. And that it's meeting the criteria of the Clean Energy Fund um, very, very specifically. Mm-hmm. And so in, in that way, I don't feel like it's a backfill or that's not the intention. I think it's an opportunity to mm-hmm. really push the city 
into culture change about how we assess programs, who we center in our programs. So I feel like it's a real opportunity to change the way the city does business and center the right things. Right. Well, let's go through a few of these funding decisions in detail, like the largest being $112 million for the Bureau of Transportation, or PBOT. That's one of Commissioner Mingus Maps Bureau's. Now, how did that come about? You know, because I mean, like, let's also address that they're in a budget deficit yes. of 32 million. Yes. So um, when you gave them 112, I was just like, part of me was just like, well, they're set for a while now, right? Like, w- why are they still, it still seems like they're struggling. So yes. part of me wonders, why is P-Ball still ca- coming at us with parking tickets? You know what I mean? Like, why are they still <laughs> trying to, to, to like look underneath the couch seats for money, you know? Yeah. In terms of, um, uh how how things were assessed. Really, it was not a, a, a discussion among elected officials. Um, okay. It needed to happen at a bureau level uh, to actually get down to business and take any one um, elected's, uh, you know, own priorities or positioning out of it. Um, so in that way, it was a very good, clear process among um colleagues, you know, mm-hmm. at the bureau level with Donnie um, Olivera, the, the director of the Bureau of Planning and Sustainability, sort of leading the conversation. He knows the fund. He knows the clear parameters of the fund, um, at least initially, so that in their conversations, he could help bureau directors and their teams really assess what things could meet the criteria and what things were clearly off the table so that they could get their requests ready to take them before the PSEF committee. Um, Cause that's an important step that needs to happen. All anything we put on the table needs to go to the PSEF committee regardless before it comes to council. So that's how um, things were prioritized. It wasn't uh, Mingus maps. It wasn't Carmen Rubio. It wasn't, you know, um, Ted wheel. It, it wasn't any of us. It was really truly assessing what are the big, you know, needs out there that may be potentially at risk that are already, um, have demonstrated a strong community benefit and that meet these clear priorities outlined in PSEF. Yeah. And whose idea was that? Like who, who was just like, Oh, Hey, we have this fund were able to do that. Was it just the bureau itself? It, it was the work of uh, me together with my with my bureau uh, leadership. We were in conversations about that. We learned about uh, the the potential surplus that might be happening. Although we didn't have a final number at that point, we decided that it would be um, it would be prudent for us to really get things ready in in the event that we were met with a situation like that came to pass. Um, yeah. The second piece of that that you asked was about PBOT. And I think that PBOT has its own clear structural deficit, right? right. Has its own um, problems that, you know, in a time where we're aiming for a just transition and we are really trying to step down our GHGs and also our um, footprints and, and also dial down our reliance on fossil fuels and moving away from cars, you know, that, that use that kind of fuel, um, our revenues are going to start declining <laughs> from natural yeah. forces that used to fund that, that were, were the norm. And so um, that together with um, other things around the state, I think it makes it more challenging um, and more um, 
what's the word? Urgent. Um, what are GHGs? Uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Ah, greenhouse sorry. gas. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, I I know you guys are are so used to this stuff, but I I don't know I'm anything. Sorry. Yes. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, just a few weeks ago, you talked about bailing out Portland Street Response, which Commissioner Renee Gonzalez had expressed openness to cutting, and you're basically proposing, you know talking about Peabody and, and Commissioner Mingus's bureaus, you're proposing funding other departments that other city commissioners are in charge of. Did you at all ever worry about it looking like you were overstepping? You know, that is a, a very good, very good observation because I think that, that you have hit one of the major um, challenges in this form of government. Um, that we each have, you know, our own bureaus uh, that we have been assigned by the mayor. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes it feels like, are we stepping our toes to call out another issue in another bureau, you know, or how do we do that? Typically, we do that with, you know, working with the commissioners um, or, or, or the mayor, depending on the bureau, um, so that it, it's not a need to do those things. But in terms of uh, when we're talking about deficits, I think that most people are eager to collaborate <laughs> to yeah. figure things out. However, it, I mean, in terms of PSR, for me, too, I, I, I have been interested in seeing and, and, and giving the space needed to see if there were going to be some solutions that were coming forward. And when... I did not uh, hear that. And we're moving closer and closer to certain deadlines in our budget you know, um, process. I felt like it was necessary to put ideas on the table. And that's right. what I feel like I'm elected to do. It may be a good idea or a bad idea that we're still checking out. But nevertheless, I think it was really important to signal that it's it's an important thing to me. It's an important thing to the community and community Portland Street response. Yeah, yeah, Portland Street response, and um, it was very important, I think, for folks to hear that we're trying to figure it out. And mm -hmm. so that was um, that was what where I was coming from with that, and mm -hmm. hopefully it, it landed fine with my colleagues. How was that looking, by the way? You know, we're we're asking our city attorneys and our um, finance folks to take a look at it to see what's possible and what is impossible. So. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't have an answer for that yet, but we are definitely digging in. And when I have news, we'll we'll share either way. But regardless, if, it, if that's the way that we're able to fund it or if it's not, I'm still going to be strongly advocating for its full funding. Yeah. You know, we've been talking about the Clean Energy Fund and how, you know, you and the Bureau have been able to find ways to expand the scope of funding or the scope of, like, uh, what this money can do. And uh, as you've said, and the committee overseeing the fund has gone on record saying all the allocations fit the purview of the of the objective, you know. But are you comfortable about setting this president with this large pot of money? Like, like just imagine how someone who's less aligned with your values might choose to allocate those resources. No, it's a really good question, and, and it's one I've thought about quite quite a lot because uh, from day one, I felt a deep, deep responsibility to ensuring that this fund meets um, its mission and it meets its intent and that it's moving us in a direction where we're actually making and seeing progress. You know, some things are all always we have to assess the risks, and that is certainly a risk. You know, any anything is a precedent when you could could be setting precedent when you try something new or you propose something new. Um, 
And at the same time, I, I will be frank that if I'm not putting ideas out that have like the values that I care about, <laughs> I'm not sure that they will be put out at all if, if you know and there other people will be making those decisions mm-hmm. um those ideas are going to come from other places whether i put them on the table or not and i want to make sure there are at least ideas on the table that are squarely centered in our values you know all of this does make you seem like a hero swooping in and solving everyone's budget issues but this fund just kind of came in with your jurisdiction it kind of fell in your lap right? right is this a cheat code did you get a cheat code. If this were a video game, I'd be like, Carmen's cheating. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's um, it's probably uh, serendipity is how I would call it <laughs> okay. because um, I happen to feel very um, deeply aligned with the values of the fund and very protective of the fund. And I happen to be assigned this portfolio. If you would ask me, did I ever think that it would become such a big part of the work? No, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I did not ask for planning and sustainability. Um, it was assigned to me. And so um, I asked for housing, actually, in my first, <laughs> you know. Oh, interesting. But, um, but I, I'm very grateful for it. And I've learned a lot in the Bureau, um, uh, both about, you know, the massive work that our city needs to still undertake to make progress on our climate goals mm-hmm. and also um the equally massive work that the city needs to uh, undertake within uh, to make sure that we have the capacity uh, to center the right values in the right communities that are most vulnerable in that work. So in that way, it's taught me so much. And um, I just feel really honored to be able to, to be a part of this great work. All right, well, let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, why does the city need so much financial bailing out in the first place? Have you ever wished you could just go somewhere and decorate cakes? If you're nodding your head right now, well, Cake Hoopla has got you covered. A do-it-yourself cake and cupcake decorating studio in Tiger, they supply you with everything needed, including the baked cakes and cupcakes, and the frosting, the fondant, the sprinkles, tools, and even instructions if you're going for something a bit more highfalutin. You can join workshops, book private parties, or order kits to take home. No matter the skill level, Cake Hoopla has something for everyone. They even offer customizable packages for any kind of party. Kids' birthdays, company events, bridal showers, holiday parties, team building, you get it. Customers can also book a table, the party room, the whole studio, or just choose a pickup option. For more info, head over to Cake Hoopla in Tiger just off I-5 or go to cakehoopla.com. How do you think the city's budgeting process is not working right now? And how would you change it when you aren't in charge of this pot of money? Because, I mean, it was just like you said, it was serendipity, not just that you were able to you know, help guide, but also that it even existed. So it was kind of just like, oh, few for so many bureaus, you know? Yeah. And I I also want to really be clear, too, that this is only a one time surplus. Yeah. But like, as you stated, this is a one time thing. And the city was lucky that it had that. So it's clear that our budgeting process isn't quite working. 
Does that make sense? Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're yeah. meaning we don't have enough revenue in the budget. Yeah. But that is true. We're in a, a place of declining revenue uh, mm-hmm. right now as a city. And that is a very, very uncomfortable and scary place to be, especially with things that are not in our purview to control that are really driving a, a strong impact on that revenue, um, like interest rates, right, that are mm-hmm. extremely high, like, you know, the fact that we are um, in a time where we have a housing shortage yet, we don't have um, a lot of investment coming into the city right now. So our issuing, you know, folks that are applying for permits to build are even lower. Um, that has an impact on our ability uh, to fund uh, certain bureaus that depend on the revenue that come into the city to actually hire people, keep people in their jobs um, and performing services for the community. So it's all this ecosystem and it's also about hydraulics, right? And so, yeah, when what we're we're finding, we're finding those structural deficits that are really feeling crystallized and exacerbated in a very, a very visible way right now. Are you able and to speak so, about any of those points sure. of weakness where you're just like, oh, here's what's not working and this is why we we can't stay within budget? Yes. Um, something that we've been talking about quite a lot lately, in fact, uh, multiple times today, is our permitting system. Mm-hmm. And as I was mentioning before, you know, we right now in this um, commission form of government, we have a permitting system where you know, if you pull permits to do a project, whether it's, you know, any kind of project that's building uh, commercial or residential or um, an improvement on your property, you have to go sometimes through multiple bureaus, uh, at least seven. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, it can take a long time. And in this time of high, you know, high interest rates, um, supply chain issues, um, and navigating through the system, time is money. And so you mm-hmm. can literally be on, you know, on the verge of running out of money for your project while you're waiting for permits to happen, right? Gotcha. And so we have this historically slow system. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, our permitting process is dependent on those revenues coming in from those permits to actually self-sustain. Right. So you can see how like when we're in a hard time, like right now, we have less revenue, we have less ability then to hold on to critical staff that make the process go faster. So, so, so that's an example of a structural problem that we are, thankfully, we're rectifying now, but we're rectifying it, you know, while it's in crisis, um, essentially, and that's a hard thing to do. Um, We will have to look at those structural areas that just no longer work in this time. And we Mm -hmm. have to recalibrate it so and be realistic about what we can fund, what we can't fund. Look for those areas of alignment. And certainly with the city manager coming in, we're going to have a lot of opportunity to figure out those places where we can narrow the gap, maybe Mm -hmm. save some time, you know, and also make things easier for um, the everyday Portlander that wants to use our services. Yeah, I can speak from experience that you have to go through like three to four bureaus if you want to get a permit to even just like, oh, I want to drive where you're like, you have to go to Peabody, yeah. you have to go to this, you have to <laughs> you have to go so many places. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Well, do you think that's going to change at all once the charter is enacted? It's, it's not going to change overnight. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a process of planning over multiple years, you know, and we have started the process around just this one discrete project of the permitting 
functions Mm -hmm. that's coming into alignment and we're already building a plan together. But what has previously um, inhibited all of us from doing things or getting things into alignment is the commission form of government. So it's going to be like tremendously helpful, the Mm -hmm. change so that we can get things more aligned because we will have one point of authority. We don't have to go to three or four different commissioners to sign off on a structural change because you can see then how that would gridlock. And and in some cases, as we've seen, never happen. And then the, the deficit perpetuates over time. And then we have these big challenges and crises. So it will get better. It'll make it easier to make decisions more quickly about these things. Mm-hmm. That's what the government change will bring. And now, I mean, all of this kind of circles back if we're just like, well, wh- why are you guys running out of money? It's like, yeah, there's just a lot of standing still. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, this next question uh, was actually suggested by a listener, and it has to do with housing. I remember you said that you were hoping to get the Housing Bureau. Our listener, John L asks, uh, what's one audacious idea that you'd like to see for addressing the housing crisis? Oof. Um, one audacious idea. I have a couple. Well, one of them would definitely be um, doing a demonstration project in the downtown core for one of these buildings um, that are no longer being used and converting mm-hmm. it to housing. We, you know, we passed some policies to make um, office to housing conversion easier, right. but they're still pretty expensive to do. So my dream would be to have a demonstration project where we can show how it can be done um, and having it be a project that is in partnership with the state, um, with the private sector, and really just being a showcase for, you know, hitting all the notes of activation in our downtown core, repurposing it for housing, which is something we absolutely need to do. It's a new time, you know, um, hybrid work is here to stay. And so we need that vibrancy and vitality um, into our downtown core. So let's make it affordable for people to live downtown and create community here. The other idea I have is I've been really looking at and watching um, how other cities and other communities are exploring avenues about more uh, green housing technology, you mm-hmm. know, with like the um, mass timber is one of them. And also um, uh, there was another one where it's like pre prefabricated pieces that make it um, easier and really sustainable ways of building homes quickly and affordably. And so I'm interested in looking at that. I don't I don't know enough about it yet to really propose anything, but it but I feel like if if there are ways that we could scale um, some rapid production of some of these, you know, very sustainable ways to to create some homes together with pairing it with um, you know, we recently did a land buildable land inventory at the city and figuring out how we pair that with available land. It's a way to keep costs really low and make it really accessible for people to either buy their first homes or um, for renters, uh, not only for um, affordable housing, but also for um, working people and young people who want to live in the city, you know, and mm-hmm. want to live and work here. Right. I just want to say, uh, the, to add to your mass timber uh, common, it's a type of construction, mass timber construction, and it's in contrast to the light frame wood construction. So it's it's using uh, engineered wood products, um, like larger solid wood panels, and also like manufactured off-site 
stuff. So it's almost like manufactured housing in a way. And it actually uses a smaller uh, footprint. So I can see why that would be something to look into. Yeah. Um, so elephant in the room, you and Commissioner Maps and Commissioner Gonzalez are all running for mayor while still working together in this like pre-charter, you know, uh, state of government, all ending your terms in city council. So how awkward is it? <laughs> you, you know, that's, I, I love that you're asking that because nobody asks that. Um, and I, I know everybody's thinking it, you know, yeah. um, it's not for me, oddly, it's not awkward at all. I, I can't speak for my other colleagues. However, I can, I can maybe say with, um, with confidence, you know, I sit right next to commissioner maps and he and I are very jovial and we, we've actually talked about it and, you know, we have, we're pretty lighthearted about it all. So, um, so I feel like we're good. I mean, um, but yeah, other folks, you would probably have to ask them directly, but, <laughs> but for me, you know, this is, it's such an honor to even be in these places. And I'm so just, you know, I'm so cognizant of what it takes for someone. I And I say this with humility, like I feel, I recognize the, the role and um, I feel honored to be in this, even to be right here. And pr I have privilege enough to be in a seat. I have privilege enough to be able to run for mayor. And I think about in my worst days, where I'm feeling grumpy or I'm sensitive <laughs> to something that I read or that, that someone said about me or that, you know, you know, sometimes pulling things, you know, the knives out of your back, whatever, like in my worst, worst days, it's, it's never as bad as what some of our ancestors have experienced, you know? And so yeah. that gives me perspective and it grounds me. And so I have no choice, but to, to be lighthearted about it because it's a privilege to be here. We shouldn't be, um, squandering it, it with mm -hmm. unnecessary drama and in behavior. Right, right. So before you head out, is there anything you'd like to add? Maybe just that, you know, I think ch charter change and the government change is we're in a really historic moment and it's really mm -hmm. exciting and really consequential and it really matters this election and, and uh, because the folks that will be elected in this next, you know, year, they're going to set the tone for the city for a generation. You know, mm -hmm. they're going to shape um, our city for the next generation. They're going to um, also hire the leadership that is going to put in practice and operationalize the policy. So we need to make sure that it is absolutely representative of who Portland is today. Well, Commissioner Rubio, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us and, uh, you know, explaining how all this stuff is working. Because we we speculate every week, every Friday, <laughs> every Tuesday and Friday, <laughs> we have a speculation party. So it's so nice to actually have like someone who's in, in those rooms come in and tell us what's going on. So thank you. Oh, it's my honor to be here. And I, like I said, I'm, I'm a fan and... Um, anytime you can have me on it, I will tell you everything that's going on. The day after we spoke to Commissioner Rubio, the Oregonian published an article relaying some of the criticisms about the Portland Clean Energy Fund, or PCEF, 
bailing city bureaus, and funding projects that seem off-base with its climate justice focus. So we reached out to Commissioner Rubio for comment on some of these concerns, and this is what she had to say. These projects, just like any other PCEF-funded projects, will go before the PCEF committee for consideration before its recommendations come to city council. City bureaus know that their climate projects must demonstrate eligibility and alignment with the city's official climate emergency work plan and that they will be publicly and transparently held to the same reporting requirements as others. Bureaus should be held to high standards when it comes to authentically serving frontline and Black, Indigenous, Latin, and other communities of color. There must be a clear community benefit and ensuring we are moving toward a future with zero emissions and building a climate resilient city. Otherwise, they should not be considered for funding. Also, just know that I asked specifically about two of the projects the Oregonian pointed out, which would allocate $28 million for a climate resilient future Keller Auditorium and $20 million for a climate friendly infrastructure for the Fire Bureau. So Commissioner Rubio responded specifically to that question by saying, these projects are two of the five strategic investments I proposed as part of the second allocation for unanticipated PCEF revenue late last year. The PCEF committee is designing a process for those remaining funds. It will meet tonight and announce what it comes up with in the coming weeks. Any project ideas will be subject to that process, after which the committee will bring its recommendations to council. So that means that they met up on Wednesday night. So we'll report anything uh, that shook out from that in tomorrow's Friday Roundup if there's anything to report. Thanks again to Commissioner Rubio for getting back to us so quickly. We appreciate the transparency. Well, that's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slim's. <laughs>